What's going on guys? My name is Elden Hero and welcome to the first episode of my Stranger Things Season 2 review series. This is something I've been eagerly anticipating for a long, long time. I don't really think I spoke very much about Season 1 on my channel. I think I might have mentioned it in the odd podcast here and there. Um, this was obviously before I did the 13 Reasons Why review series and I kind of really liked doing that. Like, I really liked making notes on each scene and sort of talking it through and stuff like that. Um, so, I'm gonna do that again. Uh, so, Stranger Things Season 2. I loved Season 1 for what it's worth. Um, I thought it was absolutely great. Um, like, a really nice throwback to uh, the older era of movies that I would have watched growing up. Stuff like The Goonies and things like that. Um, and it just... I don't know, it makes me feel nostalgic, it kind of reminds me of my childhood and it does a really good job at telling the kind of story that it's telling. And obviously it borrows heavily from everything and it does a lot of nostalgia for nostalgia's sake and things like that, but you know what, sometimes you just gotta let your guard down and let the nostalgia in, there's just no harm in doing that. So we're back, uh, there'll obviously be spoilers in this episode. The opening scene follows a high-speed chase in downtown Pittsburgh where the cops are after a van filled with some 80s punks who just robbed a bank in Halloween masks. It might have actually been a post office. My Netflix was doing that thing where it's like in really low quality for the first couple of seconds so I couldn't actually see the building they were um, they were robbing but obviously it was around the time of Halloween I think I think the date given was October 28th so walking around in a Halloween mask is a pretty clever way to rob a bank around that time of year um, as the chase unfolds we learn that the thief in the passenger seat is using some upside down level telekinesis to manipulate events on the ground which culminates in her forcing a police officer uh, driving the first car his name is Adams um, she uses some kind of powers to make him hallucinate and see the tunnel that they've sped into collapsing and giving way after he sees this Adams's car grinds to a halt and the other officer's cars crash into him causing a tree car pile up as the camera pans back to the van we see the passenger's arm and there's a marking. It says 008. This can only mean that she's a secret agent working for MI6 on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Agent 008. But now obviously we know that this is probably another test subject from the MK Ultra project or the well the project that crawled out of the body of the MK Ultra project led by Dr. Bremner, I think was his name. Um, it's an exciting revelation though because I have often wondered how many of Eleven's predecessors actually survived and if any of them did manage to integrate into normal society or what kind of role they're all playing in the world. Um, so that's a pretty cool opening scene I think. Then we get the opening credits and following the opening credits we see Dustin, Mike and Lucas collecting quarters and heading off to the arcade where they're joined by Will Byers who gets dropped uh, by his mother. It just shows how protective she is over him, obviously, given the events of the first season. Um, after his topsy-turvy first season in the Upside Down, am I right? Uh, but I am really interested in seeing how he adapts to normal life after such an event, Like especially considering that we know the Upside Down like isn't done with him uh, because we saw flickers of it at the end of last season um, but they're definitely not going away definitely wasn't a once-off because within a few seconds of being in the arcade Will finds himself alone in the upside down version of the arcade and this scene is one of the coolest looking scenes in the history of the show by a long way the dying neon embers in the advertisements juxtaposed by the flickering orange black sky is just some dreamlike apocalyptic premonitions worthy of 
any dystopian art form i think it's absolutely beautiful to look at will's vision is interrupted by mike and his world returns to normal or as i will continue to call it from now on the downside up chief hopper played by the excellent david harbour has a scene with a reporter who believes something weird is going on in hawkins involving russian spies um, it's clear that he's talking about Eleven, you know, he refers to a shaved-headed girl with a, who is apparently Russian. He apparently just knows that uh, she's Russian. Um, but Hopper just brushes off everything he says and dismisses it as conspiracy theory nonsense. And he does it in that very sort of bravado-laced Chief Hopper way, where even if the person was right, he's like, eh... So um, this really just shows Hopper's commitment to the deal that he made at the end of the first season. He's not going to be talking about any of these events and he's not going to be entertaining the possibility of any of these events um, being actualized. Uh, we also get a little scene with Steve talking to Nancy about how hopeless his future prospects are. Um, and then a new guy arrives in the school. Like, technically two new people arrive. Uh, I think it's a Trans Am or some kind of 80s car that pulls up while Rock You Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions plays. All the girls marvel at this man's physique, and he also had a little sister with him, but nobody seems to care about her. Uh, we do go on to learn that this girl is in fact Mad Max, the mysterious gamer who has been besting Dustin's scores at the arcade. Up next in lineup changes, they introduce a guy called Bob, Joyce's new boyfriend. He's clearly a big part of her life because he knows it's Jonathan's night to pick for movie night. Um, I forgot Jonathan was actually in the show, and after remembering that he exists, I can honestly say I'm angry. Um, he was kind of the only bad thing about season one, in my opinion, as well as, I suppose, uh, Mike's dad, Mike and Nancy's dad. Uh, just what a useless character. There's even uh, there's a scene um, when Mike is stealing quarters from Nancy's piggy bank, um, and like... Mike runs downstairs, Nancy runs after him, and the dad is just like, no running in the house, and just nobody listens to him, he has no authority whatsoever, he's just such an utterly useless mannequin character, they might as well have just made um, Mike and Nancy's parents, like, just the mum, just just have it be a single mum, um, but yeah, we finally get a glimpse of some stranger things going on in Hawkins as Hopper visits a dead pumpkin farm and it's pretty grim the pumpkins all lying there with their throats cut and blood everywhere <laughs> that's not true um I don't know why I said that but I actually thought it was really funny anyway um they're just scattered all over the farm and they're a mixture of orange and black just like the sky in Will's upside down vision they're also covered in flies then Hopper gets startled by a crow which brazenly lands on top of a redundant scarecrow afterwards. And this is a pretty nice little teaser of the Upside Down's lore. Um, it's shape-shifting of reality and subversion of the norms. Like a crow on top of a scarecrow is pretty much, I don't know, a very good metaphor for what the Upside Down is and what it does to people. Um, it gets you excited for what's going to unfold as this season progresses, in my opinion. Um... So Will appears to have like routine medical examinations to deal with his episodes um, because he his mum comes to collect him and he goes off and then Mike says, oh, he's quiet every time he has to go in. Um, and going in means going back to the facility from uh, season one where they where they created the 
um, the wormhole through which the upside down exists. The portal is the word that I'm looking for. Um, I, what, what is that facility called? I, I don't actually know. If someone could comment what the name of that facility is, that would be helpful because I'm sure I'll be talking about it a lot in this season. Um, but yeah, Will is there talking to a doctor who all in all actually seems like a pretty nice guy and he's hooked up to like an ECG monitor or something like that. I'll be honest, I don't know what an ECG monitor is, but it sounds like the kind of thing that would be in a hospital. Um, he describes the events and he says that he just felt evil and he was frozen and the evil wanted to kill not him but everything else it's pretty ominous when it's um when it's compared side by side with his heartbeat and his rising heartbeat and uh and all of that stuff as it goes on so that's a pretty cool scene um the doctor then tells um hopper and um Will's mother, played by Winona Ryder, that he's suffering from post-traumatic stress and this is not unusual and he's doing like a recall of the event and they've seen it in soldiers and they've seen it in lots of other cases and it's uh, fairly standard stuff. After that, we see Nancy and Steve going for dinner with Barb's parents, uh, Barb being the cast-off from season one that caused internet outrage after the writers had the audacity to kill her off and then basically never mention her again she is definitely dead though as was confirmed at the tail end of the first season uh, nancy becomes consumed by guilt after hearing that the parents plan on selling their house to put up money for a private investigator so they can find their daughter and they talk about how hopeful they are and i know that they're grieving parents and well not grieving parents but like they are parents of a dead girl but all the emotion gets shifted onto Nancy here. You feel really bad for her. Like, the truth, if the parents were to learn the truth, it would turn their world upside down. And that's the kind of wordplay you can take to the fucking bank. The rest of this episode will just be the sound of distortion from a mic being too close to the amp after I drop it on the ground. Anyway, back at Mike's house, he's picking out toys to sell in the yard sale. When he sees the Millennium Falcon that Eleven once made float with her mind, uh, he reaches out to the walkie-talkie radio and asks if she's out there. He says it's day 352, placing us almost a year from the last episode, uh, and still no contact between Mike and Eleven, which is pretty tragic because they were pretty mad about each other. Um, when he gets up, like he stands up out of that little, if anyone can remember that little hut thing that he used to, that he made for Eleven, like a little fort, um, he stands up from that and then he hears her voice saying, Mike, and as he sits down to turn it back on and talk to her, it turns out that it's just Dustin talking about Mad Max. The scene changes to Dustin and Lucas's cycle home here and as they part ways, Dustin hears a noise in a trash can just before he goes into his house. He assumes it's the cat or some kind of animal, uh, but we're led to believe it's something much more sinister. And as the trash can rattles, the scene transitions to popcorn being made before the advent of microwaves. But it's a really good scene change here. Like you go from the rattling trash can straight into a rattling bag of popcorn with seeds popping around inside of it. It's awesome, really, 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 really nice uh, visuals. Anyway, during movie night with Bob and the buyers, the phone rings and it's this really stark, ominous ring, reminiscent of how Will would communicate with his mother when he was trapped in the upside down. Before that, there's like a scene, like a touching scene with Jonathan and Will where Jonathan is like, oh, being a freak is good. You should want to be a freak. I'm a freak. Everybody's a freak. And then Bob comes in and is like, oh, I love Kenny Rogers. And it's great because it frames him as this just vanilla character and one of my picks to be eaten by the upside down uh, and for no one to care about probably. Um, but anyway, the phone rings and Bob says it's probably a crank call. Now, I don't know how he can determine that 
in a decade where there is no such thing as mobile phones and landlines are the only fucking way that people can communicate. But also, more importantly, what the hell is a crank call and how is it different to a prank call? This seems like an Americanism where it's just for the sake of alliteration. You just put a C on a word where ordinarily there's a P. I might be wrong. I don't know. Someone please explain to me what a crank call is. But later that night, Will suffers from another episode. And this one is slightly different to the other ones. Like this is quite a powerful moment, I think, because the area outside of his house gets embraced by the evil that's tormenting him. It's another terrifying and colorful event. It's this sort of there's just biblical death raining down on all of the crops around his house but what's interesting about it is that nothing resolves this darkness like in every other scene it's well i mean there's only been one it was at the arcade um but will's premonition was interrupted by mike talking and that kind of brought him back to reality out of the frozenness that he spoke of in the medical lab um but in season one when he was standing over the sink and he looked in the mirror and everything went to the upside down, but then it flickered back into the normal realm. Uh, that doesn't happen in this before the scene transitions, and it changes to Hopper coming home from a hard day's work, uh, going up to the to the steps in his house, and he avoids a tripwire, and he uses a secret knock, and it's pretty obvious that there's, you know, he's either protecting something or he's protecting someone and he gets inside the house. I couldn't figure out who it was, but I knew there was going to be somebody important inside there. I was expecting it to be like a, a CIA person or one of those secret government officials. Um, but the penny dropped when I saw the half-eaten waffle on the table and it became clear to me that Eleven is living with Chief Hopper and this is great news because you know that she's in safe hands and this is probably just part of the deal that they worked out in the last season but damn it's great to know that she's being looked after and it also fills a void in his personal life because he lost a daughter uh, so anything that gives his character a sense of purpose like that is going to be really good and really fulfilling for him. So it's sort of part of that character development. Because um, the interesting thing about Chief Hopper is that in season one, he was sort of forced into being a responsible detective or chief. Everything that happened, he was like, nah, this is nonsense. None of this matters. This isn't important. 99 times out of 100, it's the, the kid is with a parent. Um and he no longer believes in any of that. He's a fully responsible like person now. But this season also started off with him rubbishing someone's claim. And this time it was for a greater good and it wasn't a result of his own laziness. So um, it's interesting. It just goes to show there's like a, there's like a functional yet um, mentally traumatized or like a sort of a very low morale version of chief hopper and then there's the chief hopper that we have now who is dedicated to a moral cause and um is focused on committing to um well focused on keeping with the commitment that he made in the first season and that's pretty great it's good character development it's good work it's a good show um so that was the end of uh, episode one haven't watched episode two yet um i don't know when it will be up i expect it will be like three or four days in between episodes but um if you guys are happy that this show is back, uh, well, that I'm back doing reviews and stuff like that, uh, leave a like on the video. That would be awesome. Um, what did I think of the episode overall? I actually thought it was really good. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't great because nothing in particular happened, but it did a really good job of sort of sowing the seeds 
um, for what's to come in this season and also just showing what's left of Hawkins after what happened last season. It introduced some new characters, it told us what the main characters are up to, and it told us that the Upside Down is not going away and it's something to be feared. On top of that, they're still doing some kind of testing down at that facility. Uh, we don't know specifically what, like it doesn't appear as though they're actively creating any more monsters or that they're actively engaging in Cold War politics or anything like that. But definitely there's something there to be feared and it's something that appears to be much more sinister than what we've seen before. So that's exciting. I'm excited for episode two. I'm excited for the rest of the season and how it's going to unfold. And uh, I'm excited to bring you episodes of this. Yay. All right. That's the end. I've been Eldon Nero. Thank you very much for listening.